0: Uh, enjoyed uh, doing this in my personal devotions this week, uh, particularly a couple of occasions where I felt God speak to me. I don't know about you; sometimes you kind of read it and it sort of bounces off you, and other times it really gets you. So I just really want to uh, recommend: let's do this together. And also, it's fantastic to see so many and hear so many uh, attending uh, groups and uh, within the Transform groups. Uh, obviously, seeing and hearing Rick Warren, remarkable, uh, gifted. Uh, leader. Can I just say one comment? I, I mean, style is what I would call formulaic. He sort of says if you apply this principle, it works out like this. And um, I think it's a bit like the Proverbs. Uh, the Scripture says if you do this, this will come to pass. And that's generally true. And it's a kind of the principles of like Proverbs is generally if you do this, then uh, this will work out that way. But just we, we just think there's probably occasionally a little bit of grey, which if you come to the church regularly, uh, uh, you, you maybe understand, but you know, Rick Warren or Steve Tibbet. I'll leave it with you to decide. Okay, um, Bill Hybels, um, a great Christian leader, leads the uh, Willow uh, Church. Thousands of thousands of people go in Chicago. Uh, writes in his book *Courageous Leadership* about his dad. He says about his dad, his dad got nine out of ten in life. And when I first read that, I thought, well, nine out of ten in life, I'd take nine out of ten in life. And he said the trouble is 9 out of 10 is not good enough because he died of a heart attack in his 50s and he died too early because he didn't take care of his physical health. And uh, that's what we're looking at this a week uh, In being transformed, we're looking at uh, physical health. When I saw this I thought, oh no. Uh, because so while I was running in October, I pulled my back and it hasn't recovered. i am seen a physio at the, at the moment and taking painkillers. And I, I thought, oh no, I will only have to use illustrations from my past sporting experience rather than my, my re- more recent. And then all the young pastors in the church, they all go on these park runs now. You know, they're obviously in their 40s. That's what you do, I think. And you go on the park runs and they're saying to me, Steve, why don't you come along? Now, I know they want me to come so they can beat me, so I'm not going to give them that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go there, uh, especially when I'm not um, uh, in my normal peak condition, and, uh, um, but physical health is really important, uh, what you eat, your weight, uh, probably offended half the congregation, uh, I'm trying to lose a couple of pounds, so, so you know, and uh, just to say on top of it, yeah, uh, but exercise and, um, and, and food intake is really important. And actually, through this week, through the Bible study and the group discussion, it will be challenging for us to ensure that we take care of our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But actually, the subject that Rick Warren spoke on on the Sunday, I thought, well, I can, uh, okay, I can do this. And it's about handling stress. Handling stress. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, handling stress. Researching for this message. I discovered that... In the UK, between, in the year of 1415, that 9.9 million working days were lost due to stress. And in fact, stress accounted for 35% of all work-related ill health cases and 43% of all working days were lost to that ill health. In other words, nearly 50% of every day that is lost to work is related to to stress, because you can have flu and have a week off, you can have a heavy cold and have a couple of days off, or you can have man flu and you might need a long time off, okay? <laughs> but really what happens is that when people emotionally crash and stress really hits, then that takes people out for a long time. Now, of course, stress in itself is not a bad thing. see um, some of you here, you perform a lot better under stress, if you've got a presentation, what you do is you delay the preparation until it gets really close and then it sort of like kicks in. Yeah, you like that, you're the type of, I'll leave things, I've got an essay to write, I'll leave it right to the last moment and I'll start the night and you work best under stress. Other people work best when they, they kind of, they got a presentation in three months' time and they write it now and they get it done and that's how they deal with stress. It's not a, necessarily a right or wrong way uh, to do it, but uh, stress can increase performance but chronic stress, long-term chronic stress, can kill you. It can literally kill you. And your life can end before time because you haven't stewarded your life well. And that's why today's message is really important. Because if, uh, if you live in an overstressed life for too long, ultimately it could kill you. Or at very least, it could do real damage to you. So, and you see this with uh, ex-soldiers uh, uh, as they return from the battlefront. War veterans. And they suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, they've been in a situation where they have been overexposed, uh, uh, colleagues killed, um, and just the, the horror and the shock of the war zone is that when they get back out, there is just ongoing trauma because their emotions and their mental state can't cope with what they've experienced or seen and it takes a while for them to process it. What I'm going to do this morning is just give you um, uh, just seven causes of stress. Possibly after me going through them, you will feel stressed if you're not at the moment and then we'll get to some, hopefully seven solutions to stress. And we're going to root it in scripture and we're going to root it in a famous psalm today. Psalm 23, surely one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Psalm 23, letting me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The commentators say, at the heart of Psalm 23 is an expression of confidence King David, confidence in the protective care of Yahweh, of the great I am, of God. Uh, And the picture is not a familiar one, we know this. I haven't seen the shepherd in Lewisham recently, have you? Uh, But we know that in biblical times, and when this psalm was written, that would be very common, sort of, you would see a shepherd caring for his flock. And David, obviously, had been a shepherd boy, and so he was drawing from his own experience and making this parallel, that God is a shepherd and he cares for his sheep. And God cares for us. So seven causes of stress. I'm sure there are more, but seven's enough. Uh, So the first I want to say is worry. We worry about things. Any worriers in the room? We worry about our health. We worry about our kids. We worry about our money. We worry about work. We worry about our parents. We worry about wider family. In fact, some of us become professional worriers. We're really good at this. I mean, in fact, I know some people that when they can't think of anything to worry about are worried that they've got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Sometimes it's connected to being that things are out of your control. It's like, I can't, can't manage this. I can't keep control and I worry that things are going to go wrong. So worry is a massive Stress generator. Um, How about this one? Hurry. Just the pace of life—it seems to get quicker and quicker and quicker. Do you remember there was a there was a time, and it wasn't too long ago, before emails and texts and mobile phones? What did we used to do? How did we communicate with each other? Now I know we 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 now just I, and I'm good. I call it a gift. Okay, I can multi-screen. I can I'm up to three. I can do three at the same time: TV, iPad, and my phone. Yeah. Anyone else want to? Can you do that? Do three? Anyone do three? Anyone three? Any do three with me? there's no one else that can do three? Okay, that's it's confession. Really, I just run to the front. Uh, but yeah, the pace of life it seems to get faster and faster. And actually what can happen is you can get addicted to the pace. And what happens is your body literally releases a chemical it's called adrenaline. And it just keeps going. And you can get on the buzz. It's like a fix. And so what happens is you get on this treadmill and you run and you run and you run. And, more <laughs> and you just go faster and faster and faster. Hurry. I think being around crowds of people or just urban lifestyle is stressful. Now, before you think the way this message is going, I'm going to encourage you all to move to the villages. I'm not. Because statistically, and globally, and in the UK, more and more people are moving to the cities. It's a part of the economic jobs pull. So in the 50s in the UK, uh, 79% people lived in cities. It's predicted by 2030, it will be 92% of people will live in urban cities in the UK. That's a lot of people. Uh, and, uh, and we want to serve people and reach people. So Christians have got to be in the cities, because that's where people are. And, uh, but urban lifestyle comes with challenges. Now, it's all, it's all relevant. If you've ever been to Mumbai, I've been to Mumbai a few times in India, man, it makes London look like a walk in the park, honestly. So everything is kind of, uh, you can compare it, but London is stressful. If you commute each day up into the city or up into town to work, that is stressful. Since I've been... um, taking on my wider role, I've, I've been travelling more. So this last two weeks, I've been on the train twice. In fact, the week before, I went to catch an early train and the train before me was cancelled. So everyone's just standing there for half an hour down in Bellingham. And then when the train came along, it's all packed because everyone's stacked up, yeah? You know what I'm talking about. And then what happens? We all get in and then, I mean, what happened to personal space on a train? It just doesn't <laughs> exist, does it? I mean, you're standing there like this and, and then someone shouts, move down! Move down. <laughs> All right. And you're standing next to people you've never met, and you're closer to them than your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just. I mean, it's stressful. Stressful. How about this one? Multiple choice. Multiple choice now. You you, you, you know, that's why we, we, we've started to shop at Lidl. I like shopping at Lidl. Good value as well. But the great thing about Lidl is you go in, and there's an apple. It's green and it's there. If you want an apple, that's the one you get. <laughs> Where if you go to Sainsbury's, there's like tens of different apples. And what's the best apple? And what a rice price against the, 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 the or you know, Which one am I going to go? Just give me an apple. You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we do go to Sainsbury's and Tesco's is really good and Waitrose, uh, they're really good and things like that. And uh, M&S at Christmas and things like that. So if anyone works one of those supermarkets, I hope you'll still keep coming to the church. But, multiple choice. When it was our 25th wedding anniversary... Now, I'm, I'm fortunate, I've got a beautiful wife, we're very happy together, but we are intentional. We make it work, okay? So it's our 25th wedding anniversary, I tell you, we want to have a fun time. And so we save up to go away. And I want it to be like, I mean, it's our 25th, I want it to be special. Yeah? And so, I mean, I'm researching, Deb's researching. So you get up, there's TripAdvisor, and you go, and, you know, we saved a bit so we could probably go anywhere in the world closely, not too far, but so you're going to fly, and then you look at all the hotels and, and you go on, and in the end what happened is it became a hugely stressful experience, because I didn't want to choose the wrong one I didn't want to take my darling wife somewhere, and we get there and it's like, oh gosh we've paid too much and it's nah. yeah. I want it to be special I want it to be memorable, so we looked and we looked and looked and looked, and in the end it was like oh, I hope I choose the right one so I'm only going to celebrate my 25th wedding anniversary once Oh, we had a great time, by the way. I can see that the empathy is going down in the room, but it's just multiple choice. Of course, then there's just the stress of loss. The fact that there's an increasing loss of privacy. Whenever we walk around, there is a camera on us. It's there to protect us, but you know, every single move, there is a camera. They reckon you, if you get around London, you're probably caught on camera, you know, 300 times in a day. Something crazy. Then you, all your details, you're worried about uh, all your passwords and you, you're not supposed to write your passwords down because of security and things like that. But then you can't remember them and so you, you know, all those things. And, um, and then there's Facebook and everyone's living and everyone can see and uh, Facebook is just full of happy people who are smiling, at my super kids. You know, here I am, playing with them. You know, you know. I mean, seriously. When was the last time someone put up, here's my kid having a tantrum and puking over me? I mean, it's just not real. And you live in this... And then there's the real traumas of life. The loss of a loved one or someone close. And in a church of this size, it's happening all the time. And we're standing with and walking through with people a great trauma, the, the trauma and loss of health. And then there's things like limbo loss, when you kind, of, you kind of, maybe you go for a job and then you have to wait for fo- 10 days to see if they're going to give it to you. And you say, what's going to happen? Or, or the trauma of you've got a health problem, and you go for a test and you're waiting for the results and you, you think, which way do these results go? Is really going to impact my life? And so you're living in this, this kind of what's called limbo loss. You can actually do a questionnaire, which actually ticks off, it gives you a score for how high stress you're under. I do it occasionally, so I'm feeling stressed, and then it comes out you are moderately stressed. I think, oh my gosh. The increased secular culture we live in. For Christians in the UK, we are living and working with people that have different beliefs, different convictions, different lifestyles, different cultures, different... So. And I know I've talked to a number of you so at work sometimes. You think, okay, I don't want to, how am I going to navigate through this conversation so I can be true to my convictions but not come across as a weird or bigoted? So, how do I do that? Um, then there's, just uh, lastly, if I haven't depressed you enough, the fear of the future, the kind of what if. I mean, what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if I do lose my job? What happens if I do get unwell? What if, what if? And you can live with a level of anxiety or, you know, like things like social anxiety. Well, if I bump into someone? And I'm, all these kind of things that we struggle with. Psalm 23 provides like an antidote to the stress that we feel and experience. An antidote is like a remedy or it's something that counteracts the stress we're feeling. And we're going to look at Psalm 23 and we're going to apply it to the seven causes of stress I've given as examples this morning. So the first one is worry. What is the antidote to worry? The antidote to worry is that God will meet all my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack Nothing. This is like the foundational one. It's, it's the one that you, you need to be convinced in your heart and in your minds that God is a good God, he is for you, and whatever life throws at you, he is a constant, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. It moves us away from being dependent on ourselves, there are things we have responsibility for, but ultimately, let me tell you, if you didn't know, in the end, there will come a day when you will be spent and you will have no strength left and at that point, you will need to trust in God for eternity. In fact, sometimes it's good to fast, not just to pray, but to realise that if you don't eat or drink for a day, you're very frail. Yeah, And it reminds you of, in a sense, your dependency on God. And so therefore, as Rick Warren says, he <laughs> said you should always put your security and find your security in something that can never fail or be taken from you, that can never be taken from you. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can lose your reputation. You can even lose your spouse. You can lose your mind, but you can trust God that he will uh, He will meet your needs and that you will lack nothing. That's why Janet's testimony, that video we saw, was so deeply moving because she had found, in our church, she had found God to be our healer and transform her life. And if you're here and you're feeling stressed, and I guess a good number of us are, i want to say lean into God. Find strength in God. The antidote to hurry is rest. The antidote to hurry is rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. So you need to find a rhythm of rest. Now when I got into the Hebrew about green pastures, what that really means is golf. Okay, that's what it really means, okay? So I just i thought, it's just golf. That's what green pastures mean. You need to find a place where you get away from the hurry. Okay? It, it doesn't say that in the commentaries. It doesn't say golf in the comments, honest. It. But I like playing golf. And this is my biblical foundation for it now. I found it at long last. Okay. There's something in us isn't there? For some of us, sometimes particularly men, who get their identity out of work, it just drives us on. Got to work, got to work, put a few more hours in, make a few more pounds. I mean, have you ever stopped and asked the question, why? What is the internal drive? What, what's motivating you? What, what pushes you on? Because rest is so important. I mean, God created it that a third of our life would be sleeping, I mean, think about it. Oh, come on, God, we just need two hours sleep and then we can get productive. But no, they say seven to eight hours sleep every day. So I think a third of our life is resting by sleep. I love it. Good night. Good night. Sleeps lovely, isn't it? Eh? Oh, lovely. Yeah? The importance of the Sabbath built into the created order that we need a day of rest, a day of putting God first. So rest, relaxation and recreation are important. Now, I didn't learn this one well as a young man because I'm ambitious, I'm driven, I'm a task-focused person, I'm, I want to move forward. don't know if you notice noticed that about me. Okay? So I learned that the only way I could self-manage was basically to make rest a task. Yeah? That's how I sorted it out. Which for some people is like, you're kidding me. You sad person. But that's how I've got life balance. I've made rest a task. I like to see it as like I'm an athlete running a marathon. I'm preparing for a marathon. And what I do is I have days when I train. And as a part of my preparation is I have rest moments. Okay. I know it's a bit sad. But I live in this little dream world occasionally that I could run a marathon. You are not wasting your time when you're relaxing. You are not wasting your time when you're resting. So guys... The pastor is saying it's okay to sit down and watch the rugby this afternoon. I think that is, that's the application of this, this passage. Is that okay? Yeah. Or, you could go home and say, look darling, you've worked really hard this week. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll look after the kids. and You just go and sit down and watch the rugby. Or, read your book or whatever it is. It's amazing how you can lose favour with a congregation so quickly, you know. One moment, all the guys are going, man, I cannot believe he's saying that, but preach it, pastor, preach it. And then in a moment, I'll know. I'm going to be in the car soon, and she's going to look at me and go, rugby or novel, yeah? I'll leave it with you. (laughs) I'd kind of... Work for a win-win on that one. That's how I'd go on that one. Okay. The attitude, uh, sorry, the antidote uh, to crowds is creation. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, as I was preparing for this message, this one really spoke to me because when I'm really stressed, when uh, the demands of my life really gets in me and my emotional tank gets low, I have discovered that to withdraw and get close to water is a great thing. I love being by the seaside. I do, I love, I love the sea and if I ever go near the, the, the sea where the waves are big, I will always go out on the farthest rock and I've got videos on my camera of big waves coming in. I just love the power The waves, and I feel like I'm really, it's like I touch God when I see the waves. I've got some videos here where I go as far as I dare, because I've worked out the waves not going uh, to really crash over me, and then there's one that gets really close, and it sort of goes like this. It goes, oh, wow, oh, amazing, look at that wave, look at the oh, my gosh, look at that wave! (laughs) Like that. I'll show it to you sometime. I love it. But also, I like the calming influence of the sea, and the beauty of it. Now, my street cred, which is not very high anyway, is just about to crash and burn. Because when I'm really, really stressed, I've found to go bird-watching, yeah, really helpful. And I, all right, okay, you don't need to... You weren't supposed to laugh at me. Uh, anyway, so I go bird-watching, and I go down to Kent, and I walk round a reserve and uh, buy water, and it's a nice place to see all their nice waders and things like that. And I find it restores my soul. So it's difficult, isn't it, in urban life? It is. You can't just walk down to the coast. You have to be intentional or you have to get to a park or get outside. But ah, the antidote is to connect uh, to creation. The antidote to multiple choices is, well, he guides me along the right paths. God has a purpose for your life. And uh, most Christians I know want to be in the will of God, actually. I think, you know, we all do, don't we? And so how does God guide is a really important question. Well, this is a sermon in itself, but here's five key points in how God guides us. The first is through circumstances of life. So God might be guiding you even at the moment because you're feeling stressed and you need to allow that to speak into your life. You need to make adjustments. So your circumstances are shaping uh, and influencing Uh, some reflection and guidance that you might need from God through the prophetic. So if you were here uh, when uh, Mike Pilavachi was with us and we had our, our prayer evening and there's these remarkable prophetic words, they come and they shape and direct. Sometimes God guides simply through what I call common sense or life wisdom. You have a brain, use it. I'm amazed that some Christians, they're kind of highly professional and do very well and then when it comes to some simple good choices, they don't engage that wisdom. This one, I think, is particularly important, that is the counsel of other people. Why? Because the other three, the ones we've talked about, circumstances of life, prophetic, and common sense, is very much rooted in your own self-analysis. Yeah? But if you really want to get counsel on an important decision, ask trusted advisors. So we do that here at King's. So for any major decision is made, it's talked with elders and trustees and lots of people. There are tens of people involved uh, in, in an important decision. If I'm making a personal important decision, I've got people I will talk to. And then lastly, the Word of God. The Word of God speaks to us. I mean, for some of you today, this might be, the Word of God might be a wake-up call before you blow up. This is a wake-up moment before you blow up which is you are under significant stress and you need to get help or you need to make some radical choices and changes. Otherwise, if you don't wake up, you might blow up. I've seen people blow up emotionally. It's not pleasant to watch. Uh, and normally it takes quite a long time to recover. And so if you're in a high-stress situation and you, you start to see some of the symptoms, the you know, outbursts of anger or withdrawal, Kind of two extremes. If you start seeing yourself do that, then just go. Ah, oh, I, I need to get some help round here. The antidote to antidote to loss is trusting God in dark valleys. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You know. We're going to face moments in our life when it's really difficult. You know that about life, if you've lived for any length of time. And what you mustn't do is allow fear to grip you. But it is totally appropriate to grieve through loss. So fear is bad, but grieving is good. And um, it's good to cry. Yeah? Um, I was talking to someone this week who was walking through something we had a good cry together. It's good. It's good to empathise. Grieving is good. And depending on the degree of the trauma and the shock of it, the surprise of it, will probably depend on the degree of grieving required and the impact on you. Now, this is quite well researched. I'm not an expert when it comes to uh, sort of bereavement counselling but there are sort of phases and stages that the kind of experts say that we walk through and we walk through them not necessarily in a, an orderly way sometimes we'll get so far and then we'll jump back or jump down and so it's it's not a simple process but it's quite helpful to know particularly if you it prepares you for a, a challenging moment and also um, maybe and it only prepares you but if you're walking through a sense of loss at the moment it might help you now So it normally starts with some numbness or denial or just shock. It's just initial, your emotions can't keep up with what's happening. And then it might quickly move to anger, which is, why me? Have you ever said, why me, God? Why has this happened to me? This is not fair. I've I've said that. This is not fair. I haven't done anything wrong. This has happened to me. The third phase is what's known as bargaining with God. God, if you were to heal my son, I will... Honestly, I will, I will do this. I'll do this. And so sort of negotiate. The next phase, and you can go in and out of this, is, is depression. Or, or, or just feeling very low. Because the reality of what's happened to you or the loss you're experiencing is really starting to... You, you, you're, in a sense, you're, you're owning it. And the impact is real. And then the fifth stage is acceptance. Life has to go on. Life does go on. And I'm not in any way, in any way, sort of, want to reduce the impact of tragedy and loss. In fact, as the pastor of a church like this, it's my privilege uh, that people come up to me nearly every week and share me sort of huge challenges they're walking through. You know, life-threatening illness, loss of dear ones. Your heart goes out to them and... uh, and in time, and it can take a lot of time, and you feel you're there, and then suddenly something happens, and you, you're going to be angry at God again. And just, just allow yourself to grieve. That's the antidote to loss: is trusting God in these difficult seasons. And as you do, you can, well, hopefully, as David expressed, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The antidote to secular values is God is our defender. You can sometimes think as a Christian that actually the world's moving in on our territory. And uh, how do we hold ground? Uh, but firstly, we know that God is sovereign and God is our defender. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head With oil. So it's like like the anointing of God comes on you when you're in a most precious situation. That's why I very often pray and ask for wisdom. The Bible says, ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. So I very often, God help me. And you're in situations at work where it's all kind of maybe there is an issue of integrity or there is a discussion around a particular uh, worldview and you're there and you're trying to navigate and you don't want to compromise your Christian convictions, but all these tensions. And so ask God for wisdom. My own view is that Colossians 4 and verse 5 and following is a great sort of prayer. It's in the context of prayer um, that gives us some hints on how we are to handle this one. It says, Be wise, In the way you act towards outsiders, that's people who are not Christians. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now I think this really does express how, if I can say, Kings, as a local church, kind of views how we should engage with the world. It should start with this. Let your conversation always be full of grace. So we should love everyone. God loves everyone. He loves everyone, okay? And we want the first interaction anyone has with kings or... Ideally with you is to be one of grace, then seasoned with salt. Some people want to just throw salt on it, okay? You know, and say, well, this is not right. Let's put some salt on it. Let's get that wound there. We'll just bung some salt on it, yeah? And there is time to speak truth. Yeah? I'm not talking grace without, with, with compromise. I'm talking a, a heart, God's love for a person as they walk through the trouble of their moment or the consequences of their decision that we should show grace first, then seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so that's a good prayer, isn't it? That you would know how to answer everyone. And then lastly, The antidote to fear is God's faithfulness. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Or as it also says in scripture, can can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No. occasionally worry promotes action which is good but whether the the worry I'm talking about really it actually could reduce your life I think that's the whole purpose of this message about handling stress so don't fear for the future trust God trust his goodness trust his love trust that it will follow you all the days of your life and uh, that'll be an antidote to fear.